everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And it is uh, it's a joy to be with you all this morning. It's so great to see your faces. There's some of you that have been gone for a long time or have moved, and it just happened to be in town. Some of us we haven't seen in like two years. Uh, thank you so much. I, I, I don't know how much I can say it. It is it's so good to be present with you, to be family, and uh, as well as online. It's amazing what kind of connection can happen online. And so all of you making space to participate and be present in our service today is a huge gift. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And um, we have been in this series called Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus for the last 10 weeks. And We've covered a ton of content, and it's important that we remember some of it, at least, uh, before we dive into what we're talking about today. Because, again, what we've talked about is that we've lost a real understanding of what it means to be a disciple. So we started the series looking at the historical context of the rabbi-disciple relationship, how it even predated Jesus. And that a rabbi was a master teacher, one who had this incredible knowledge and understanding and application of the scripture, and that the ultimate goal of people of the day was to be a disciple, a learner, a student, or an apprentice of a rabbi. That that was the ultimate goal. And that we learned that a disciple isn't just a student in the way we think of a student, one who is memorizing information or, or learning a trade. It's about learning a way of life in every context in order to learn how to embody the actual life of that rabbi. And proclaim my streaming abilities is giving me grief. So, An Angie, thank you for being so good. And hopefully we'll get this back up. Um, the awesome thing that we learned about the disciple relationship with a rabbi is that it's intimate. It's personal. When you think of a teacher, oftentimes you're like, I know that person, but I don't really have a relationship with them. But in a rabbi-disciple relationship, it's very intimate and personal. And it's not about following rules and policies and procedures. It's about following a person and a way of life. And the other awesome thing about the rabbi-disciple relationship is that in order to be a disciple of a rabbi, the rabbi needs to think that you can actually do it that you can actually be like the rabbi. And so what's amazing is that that's true of us as followers of Jesus. Jesus sees each and every one of us as capable of being like him in every way. And so Jesus uses the classic rabbi language, come and follow me, because Jesus believes that about us and invites us to be students, apprentices, disciples of him. And thankfully, there's no tests, there's no prerequisites, there's not all these things that you have to do ahead of time. All that's needed is for you to simply respond to the invitation and to begin following Jesus as you go. That's it. And as we know all this, as we understand all of this, it helps us understand why those first disciples were willing to drop everything and start following Jesus. They are no longer identified as fishermen and tax collectors and what have you. They're now identified as disciples of this rabbi Jesus, and they now have a true gospel identity that's radically different from their identity before. And it's all rooted in the Trinity. We're baptized, as the word says, in the name of the Father, which makes us family. We're baptized in the name of the Son, which makes us servants. And we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, which makes us sent ones or missionaries. As, as 
Disciples of Jesus, that is our gospel identity. And from there, then, we started looking at some of the ways this manifests itself in action, in day-to-day. We talked about the way of dependence. We talked about the way of encounter and the way of confrontation. And last week, we discussed the idea of the way of justice. And all of this that we've covered, I don't know how it's been for you. It's been really good. It's also been very challenging. And the reason we've been talking about it, as I said before, is we've really misunderstood. We've come to lose our understanding of what discipleship really means. And we've made discipleship into curriculum. We've made it into programs. We've added growth charts and classes, 101 and 201, and we've compartmentalized discipleship to happen once in a while here and sometimes over here, but not so much in these areas. We've been thinking about these systems and they keep us in a way that help us kind of be able to judge whether someone's a true disciple or not. And today we're talking about prayer, the way we think about prayer and, and how we teach prayer. And it's one of the best examples of how discipleship has gotten it wrong, in my opinion. You see, we've made being a disciple into something we do versus something we are. And prayer is a great example of how we've done this. It's something we do. It's not about who we are. It's the opposite of discipleship. Because being an apprentice of Jesus is not something we do or don't do, or something we switch on and off at certain times or at certain levels of achievement. Rather, it's a lifelong process of growth. It's a way of life that's a very core of who we are in Christ. One of the quotes we've talked about over and over again is by Caesar Kalinowski, and it says this, Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life. And Acts 17, 28 probably sums it up best. For in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 28. Obviously haven't covered everything in 10 weeks that we've discussed, but that gets us to where we need to be. And I just want to say before we get started, if you don't have one, hopefully you could grab a Bible. Um, if you didn't bring one, there's ones in the back. If you have some paper to write with, um, I encourage you to do so. And if you're online, um, you can use the notes section or the Bible app as well. Um, I encourage you, write down questions, thoughts, points, scriptures, definitions, you name it, things that you hear as we go, is it helps you process, it helps you think, it helps you keep engaged, and it gives you something more to kind of chew on as we leave this place. That said, this morning we're talking about the way of prayer as modeled by our rabbi Jesus, and so it's only fitting that we begin with prayer, so let's do that. Father, Son, Spirit, it is so good to be family, to be together with our brothers and sisters. And we thank you, God, that uh, in Jesus we have the exact representation of you in the flesh, our rabbi, Jesus, to learn from. And God, we ask that you would help us to hear from you today, that you would teach us about prayer, how we can communicate with you and learn from you and your example, that we might be your disciples that can embody the way you lived in our world that desperately needs you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as I was preparing for teaching on prayer, I caught myself wondering over and over again if there is any activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian life 
than prayer. We know we should pray. We want to pray, or at least we want to want to pray. We admire those who do pray. Some of us know prayer warriors that we look up to. Some of you might even be in this room. Um, And yet when it comes to actually praying, if we're being honest, most of us feel like we're not quite there. We might even feel like failures. And if someone's asking you right now, how's your prayer life? Um, Very few of us get excited about that question, let alone feel confident about our answer. We wish we prayed more. We wish we prayed longer. We wish we prayed better. We wish we saw more answers to our prayers. And I bet none of us anticipate getting to the end of our life and go, you know what I regret? I regret spending more time in prayer. I wish I hadn't spent so much time in prayer, right? We don't get to that place. We're much more apt to resonate with the question I read from a pastor several years ago in a book um, as he reflected on his own prayer life, and he put this, how can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? (laughs) Anyone ever feel that way? How could something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? Now, I've read a lot of books on prayer over the years. Maybe you have too. Best ones make me feel grateful and hopeful, thinking I can actually do this prayer thing. Too many of which, however, make me feel like I'm not very capable. And maybe even make the most sincere disciples feel like if they're not doing anything but prayer, that they're messing up. And I remember one book, and I'm not even going to say the name. It's a classic on prayer. Um, Many of you read it. It might have been really helpful for you. But I remember reading it and finding it very inspirational at first and had all these great exhortations on prayer. But by the end, I felt deflated. I felt like, well, now I don't know if I can do this. It felt like this relentless pounding. Pray more, pray more, pray more. And at least for me, in my experience, a nonstop focus on the ought of prayer can stir me up at first, but then it quickly wears off and leaves me in this kind of wake of guilt. To be honest, there are definitely seasons where I hear all these things and I get excited and I'm like, I'm going for it. But generally speaking, it wears off and there's at least a medium grade guilt feeling that comes around prayer. Anybody else feel this sometimes? Is that how we should be feeling about prayer? Is that how Jesus taught his disciples about prayer? Did Jesus model this as the way of prayer? Does Jesus sit with disciples and shame them? I would say the answer is no, not at all. And today I hope we see this clearly. Today we're not going to cover everything there is on prayer, on the topic of prayer, but what I want to do is invite us as disciples, as students, as apprentices of Jesus, to simply look at the way of prayer modeled and taught by the rabbi Jesus himself and to let that encourage us. That's my hope, to encourage us this morning in prayer. Now, the perfect example of learning about prayer in a rabbi-disciple relationship is in the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, because at least in one of the times that this scripture comes up, it's literally after disciples watched Jesus pray. And we can see this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you want to go there, go for it. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Pretty awesome. 
And just in case you didn't know, the Lord's Prayer has had a very significant place in church history. Throughout church history, when it came to discipling children, raising up believers, making disciples, the church instructed people in three basic elements. The Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Basically, that simple and straightforward. You're growing in your faith. You're new to following Jesus. You want to be a disciple. Here's what you need to learn. The apostles created what we believe, 10 commandments, what it looks like to obey, and the Lord's Prayer. How do we pray? Now, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but in one sense, it'd actually be better to refer to the high priestly prayer we see in John 17 as the Lord's Prayer because there in John 17, what we see is the longest prayer recorded of Jesus in the Bible. And when we think about it, even though we call it the Lord's Prayer, Jesus probably didn't even pray it, at least not exactly as he taught it, right? For example, how could Jesus pray, forgive us our debts, when he didn't have any debts to be forgiven of? In other words, it's only the Lord's Prayer in as much as it's a prayer our Lord and our Rabbi Jesus gave us as a model of our own times of prayer. And when we look at the text, we see there's actually two versions of the Lord's Prayer, one in Luke and one in Matthew. And in both cases, it teaches on prayer. Both versions are very similar. They're not exact. For example, we saw already in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, that Jesus' teaching on prayer is prompted by the disciples' request. They noticed John the Baptist taught his followers how to pray, and they're hearing Jesus pray, and there must have been something about what Jesus was praying or how Jesus was praying where they go, I want to learn about this. Teach us how to do that as well. And it's a classic picture of the rabbi-disciple relationship. The disciples want to learn how to be like their rabbi in every way, including the way of prayer. And so then what follows that question is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says in verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. That's what he says. And I want us to notice that Jesus did not say certain things in his response. In his answer, Jesus did not teach them how long their prayer should be or teach at what time of day they should pray or to teach how many times a day they should pray or teach what they should feel like when they're praying or teach whether they should be standing or sitting or kneeling, or teach if they should close their eyes and fold their hands, or teach if God might send a lightning bolt if they're caught peeking at the dinner table, at their food, sneaking it, right? He doesn't teach any of that. Not that it would be wrong to add some more detail, but I think it's quite instructive that Jesus was concerned with what they prayed far more than he was with when and where and how long they prayed. And so, in simple terms, there's freedom. Pray in the morning, pray at night, pray standing up, sitting down, short times, long time, eyes open, eyes closed, you name it. There's freedom in prayer. But the basic thing Jesus says is, don't neglect praying. And here's some things to think about. Here's some areas to pray about. That's awesome. Thank you, Rabbi. I can do this. Now, if you go over to Matthew chapter 6, it's the same basic prayer that Jesus teaches, but this time it's during the Sermon on the Mount. And with it, Jesus gave more instruction about 
prayer at the front end. But I want us to pay attention in this case to the first four words of Matthew 6, verse 5, which says this, and when you pray, and when you pray. And the reason I say this is I want us to notice that Jesus doesn't have to teach his disciples that they should pray because it was a given. Jesus already assumed that they would pray. Why? Because they already understood that prayer was not something for only the super spiritual people. Rather, prayer was something every Jew did. And everyone who was a follower of God prayed. And back then, there were all these traditions in Judaism around prayer. And although it's hard to know exactly when certain traditions were in place and and at what time, what's clear is that by the time of Jesus, prayer was being offered in the synagogue three times a day. Back then, there was one temple in Jerusalem, and then there were all these synagogues, which were a lot more like what we think of with regards to church, where you'd gather, you'd gather for teaching, for prayer, and for singing, and these synagogues were all throughout the Roman Empire. And so typically, the synagogue prayer time would begin with the reciting of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's how they would start their prayer time. And it's called the Shema because in Hebrew, Shema is the word to hear, which is the very first part. Hear, O Israel. The Shema would be then followed by these 18 kind of benedictions, these prayers. And they're not in your Bible, but you can look them up. Um, They are very fitting prayers. And in fact, you can hear the echoes even in the Lord's Prayer of some of the languages that were being used in these 18 benedictions. They were these series of prayers around God and his blessing on Israel. And they were typically led by someone like a synagogue leader or worship leader, but they would also have them memorized and they would often even chant them. I just had the opportunity to co-officiate a wedding with a Jewish rabbi. So it's half Jewish half Christian ceremony. It was fascinating. And what was so fascinating to see how many components of this ceremony um, that the Jewish tradition had was rooted in the same scripture that I look at. And the Shema was one of those. And it was said in English and in Hebrew. And there was multiple times in the service where we were going back and forth and we're saying things in English and saying things in Hebrew. This is what they did. They would chant, they would sing, they would pray. And we don't know exactly when they all got these things codified and and solidified and when they were totally happening. Um, But it's very likely that Jesus and his disciples would have been completely familiar with these 18 benedictions. And so they would have heard the echoes of this in the Lord's Prayer. And knowing this is why Jesus assumed that his disciples would be frequently in prayer. And to be clear, it's not just private prayer, although If you look at Matthew 6, Jesus specifically addresses things about private prayer. Not to mention we see lots of examples of Jesus praying in private. But these days, when we think about the question, how's your prayer life? We typically think about it with regards to how am I doing with my personal devotions, my private prayer time, maybe in the morning, maybe at night, um, private prayer between me and God. That's what we think about when we hear that question. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. But for the disciples and for the Jews of the day, they would have thought more in terms of regular attended corporate gathering times where they came together as a family and prayed in community. And that is something the church has missed. The power of being in community and joining in prayer. Today we prayed for the hearsts. That is the something that is so important to support our people in prayer. And that was the way they would have understood that question. How are you in prayer life? They would have understood it in terms of a corporate family community. And if you think about the Lord's Prayer itself, there is not a single example of a single pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. There is no I, there's no my, it's our and us, which I think is fascinating. It's why there will never be a Sunday where you come to One Life and you won't have time for corporate prayer. There won't be a time where you won't be able to have someone pray with and for you. No one, not Jesus, nor his followers, questioned that God's people would pray. It's assumed. It was natural. It was at the core of their identity, and it should be no different for disciples of Jesus today. And so with that, I have a couple questions for you to think about. Um, You could take a picture, you could write these down, or just pick one to ponder. If discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief, in the gospel in every area of your life. We've used this quote. If that's the case, then what do you believe about prayer? How is your belief in prayer manifested in your day-to-day life? Do you believe prayer is something that is a natural part of your identity in Christ? Where do you feel strong in prayer and where do you find yourself lacking belief in prayer? And, And do you wanna learn to pray like your rabbi Jesus, or do you have room to grow? Now, I want you to hold these questions because these are the type of questions that a rabbi and their disciples would discuss all the time. It wasn't this one situation, they see Jesus pray and they say, Jesus teaches how to pray, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, and all teaching on prayer is done, right? This is something that the rabbi would answer over time. This is a learn-as-you-go experience. It's a never-ending one. It's a watch and learn. It's a practice and try. It's ask more questions. It's all as you go, as you look to grow in your ability to embody the way of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this too. You're not going to find all these different five points to prayer in Jesus' teaching. It's never the, here's the six steps, here's how you do it this way, this way. It's always as you go. And so what I want you to do is think about those questions with regards to your faith and your following of Jesus. And I want you to remember, um, as we kind of look at this remainder of our time, I'm going to share with you just a big list encompassing a lot of the examples of where Jesus teaches prayer or actually prays through the scriptures. And all I want you to do is sit back and relax. I just want you to listen, to pay attention, to note what stands out to you. Kind of like when the disciples heard Jesus pray and they asked him to teach him. I want you to be thinking it in the same way. 
And my hope is that this encourages you to continue learning the way of prayer as modeled and taught by a rabbi Jesus. And after I give this long list and you sit back and absorb, I'd just love to hear what sticks out to you, okay? So get ready. It's a long list. Don't feel like you have to write this down. Just if you want to close your eyes and listen, if you want to write things down, feel free. Um, but there's a lot. So here we go. First, we see Jesus teach about prayer many times, the importance of prayer 10 plus times. And there's a whole list of scriptures where Jesus talks about the importance of prayer. And we see him talk about the Lord's Prayer multiple times. But beyond that, the Gospels show us that Jesus prayed in so many situations, circumstances, settings, and postures. And I would say you could best describe it as Jesus shows us what it looks like to pray as you go. And so what we see, Jesus prayed alone. And Jesus prayed in public. And Jesus prayed before meals. And Jesus prayed before important decisions. And Jesus prayed before a healing. And even after healing. Jesus prayed to do the Father's will. And Jesus prayed at his baptism. Many of you have been baptized and you remember praying during your baptism. Jesus prayed in the morning before heading to Galilee. And Jesus prayed after healing people. All night, Jesus prayed before choosing his 12 disciples. Jesus prayed while speaking to the Jewish leaders and prayed giving thanks to the Father before feeding 5,000, a miracle. Jesus prayed before walking on water, which I always recommend, by the way, if you're going to walk on water, pray first. Jesus prayed while healing a deaf and mute person. And Jesus prayed giving thanks to the Father before feeding another 4,000. Jesus prayed before Peter called Jesus the Christ. And Jesus prayed at the transfiguration and at the return of the 70. Jesus prayed before teaching his disciples the Lord's prayer and before raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus laying hands on and prayed for little children we got to lay hands on the hearse today. Jesus prayed, asking the Father to glorify his name and prayed at the Lord's Supper. We take communion every week and we make space to pray. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith when Satan asked to sift him. And Jesus prayed for himself, his disciples, and all believers just before heading to Gethsemane. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane before his betrayal and he prayed three separate prayers that you can look up. He prayed right after being nailed to the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed while dying on the cross, crying out in prayer, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed his dying breath, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed a blessing on the bread before he ate with others after his resurrection. And Jesus prayed a blessing um, and prayed and blessed the disciples before his ascension. Now, there's a lot of examples. I'm curious what stands out to you when you look at this list, you hear this list. What are some things that stick out with you when you think about the way of prayer as modeled, as lived out in the example of our rabbi Jesus? If you're online, feel free to write down something that sticks there. We have someone monitoring it. But those of you who are in the room, I'd love to hear just 
what stuck out to you hearing this list of examples of Jesus in prayer? Okay, prayers talking to God. Yeah. The word before. Before. Mm-hmm. So things happen after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's often times where Jesus is praying before something amazing happens. Yes. Others. Yeah. Thankfulness after healing. Okay. Yeah. In the midst of the excruciating pain of dying, he still went to prayer. Others? He prayed to his father. He prayed to his father, yeah. When we talk about our identity being family, we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. And you think about the idea of family you know something would be wrong if you're not in conversation with your father, right? And I get that in our world, there's difficult relationships, but the way it's designed, we should be in relationship with our father. And it's the same spiritually speaking. It should be natural for us to be having conversations with our father, and it was natural for Jesus. Yeah, what else? He prayed a lot more than I do. Uh huh. That Jesus prayed at all times in all circumstances. Great. And I don't know if this person online thinks that, but when I hear all times in all circumstances, I can hear that in a way that makes you feel guilty, or I can hear it in a way that feels like as Jesus went about and an opportunity to pray came about, he took the opportunity to pray. Right? It's not that he's literally every second of the moments literally sitting down in prayer because he would never have gotten anywhere, right? But in the moment, as he went about his day, there was an opportunity for healing and he would pray. There was an opportunity to conversate with someone. He was an opportunity to teach. There are all these kind of situations and circumstances that comes up and he finds a way and a space and importance, the need, the natural instinct to pray present in any of those moments. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Yeah. 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 That's good. These are all what's recorded in Scripture, right? There could be plenty of other things, and and we just know in His connection, um, in the Trinity, what kind of relational dynamics is going on there is pretty amazing. Yeah, Mark. Okay. Yeah. That's great. He prayed the way you would pray if you thought God was with you all the time. It's mm. good. When we look at these and many more examples, we see the way of prayer as it was embodied by our rabbi Jesus. And as his disciples, we remember that Jesus believes that we can do this. Jesus believes we can do this that we can embody this way of prayer. And this way of prayer we see is both corporate and private. It's relational in every way possible. 
it's faithfully present when, when and wherever Jesus went. And it's at the very core of who Jesus was and is and is rooted in God's love for all. And it's this that Jesus invites us to learn, to live out as we go. My hope today is that you get encouraged. When I look at these examples, there are definitely times where I'm like, well, I don't know if I could have done that. Um, but what I am reminded of is the, the humanness of prayer and the relationality of prayer and, and the moment-to-moment -moment opportunities to pray, to be open, um, to recognize, as Mark said, that if we recognize the presence of God with us all the time, why wouldn't we connect? And that's far more encouraging to me. And that's really my hope, right? Like, my goal as a pastor, uh, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, as you, is not to say, here's how many things you need to do, here's how many times a day you need to hear, all these kinds of things. It's simply to encourage you. If there's anything I can encourage you to do, it's to pray. And I think Jesus would say the same thing. As my followers, as my apprentices, live out my example of prayer. And so with that, may we be living examples, disciples, apprentices of our rabbi Jesus in how we pray. May we continue to grow from unbelief to belief in prayer. And may our prayers help us open our hearts to those who don't know Jesus. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up, and as they do, uh, I want to give us some space to ponder what we've learned and heard. The band's going to play instrumentally, and as they do during this time, I don't need you to write anything down. If you want to, you can. All I'm wanting you to do is imagine yourself uh, talking to your rabbi, Jesus, about the way of prayer. You've witnessed Jesus pray, and you say, I want to learn about this. What questions do you have for Jesus? How might Jesus be saying, what might Jesus be saying to you to encourage you in the way of prayer today? And how will you respond? Okay, that's what I want you to do as the band plays instrumentally. Imagine yourself talking with your rabbi Jesus and what questions do you have for him and what might Jesus be saying to you to encourage you in the way of prayer and how will you respond? As they do, feel free to use this space to pray. Use it to confess, to own, to give thanks, to ask questions, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. And I also want you to note that um, our prayer team is live and they'll be back over here. Um, if you're online, the prayer app is live and all you have to do is click the request prayer button on the left of your chat. Someone from our prayer team is there to pray with and for you in the order it's received. So be aware that they may be dealing with someone in person and then they can get you online or vice versa. But again, we, we make space for prayer available every week. Uh, Greg said it one day, he's like, whenever I hear that, I think everyone should be in line. We should all have something we could be praying for. And he doesn't say that in a way to feel guilty. He says that in a way to say, of course, let's take this opportunity corporately. We're together. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our world. Let's pray for our community. Let's pray for the people in our congregation, right? So I just invite you to know we're very blessed to have people volunteering to pray with and for you, and please take advantage of that. 
That said, I'm gonna close this in prayer. We'll have time to reflect, imagine ourselves in this conversation with Jesus, and then we'll end with one last song of response. Father, Son, Spirit, you are present with us. We thank you. And it's not just present here. You are present with us at all times, as close as our very breath. And God, we, we see in your example as our rabbi the importance of prayer. We see how it uh, was something that came so natural for you and was so transformative. And we see that you teach us as your disciples the importance of prayer and to be praying. And so God, this morning we just ask that you would continue to help us. There are times we confess where we don't believe and we show it in our actions. And there's times when we do believe in prayer and we show it in our actions. And God, we ask that you would help us move from unbelief to belief in prayer, that we would just grow as we go, as you show us those opportunities, as you reveal these situations and circumstances that come before us, that we could be praying, that we would be um, examples of what followers of Jesus look like in how we pray. And so God, encourage us this morning as we go. Um, May we be people who um, are living examples of the way you pray um, as we pray for others. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.